It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rule book, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Susan Campbell, and this is The Big Rethink. It's Women's History Month, a time to celebrate and acknowledge the contributions women have and will make on history. This year, the theme is celebrating women who tell our stories, which highlights women who are active in all forms of media and storytelling, a theme close to my heart. On our podcast, we have heard from so many inspiring women who are masters in storytelling as they rethink and reshape worlds of science, technology, the arts, and beyond. In this episode, we revisit conversations with a few who are at the forefront of their industries, championing change and innovation. To start, we'll begin with a discussion between my fellow co-host, Barry Ross, and Dean of the Thayer School of Engineering at Dartmouth College, Alexis Abramson. Here, Alexis explains the new approach her colleagues and students are exploring with engineering and how they're reshaping the discipline. What is a human-centered approach to engineering? And, and more importantly, why is it important in solving sustainability issues? Sure. So... When I say human-centered engineering, when here at Dartmouth we say human-centered engineering, we really mean two things. So the first piece is about thinking about the humans when we're acting as engineers. So that means we're trying to solve a problem, call it climate change, a sustainability problem facing humanity today. We're really considering the humans on the other end. Um, I think about a partnership that we have with some indigenous people in Greenland who obviously are facing the impact of climate change severely and need to be thinking about alternative sources for their energy, which is largely diesel. And so when we think about addressing that problem, it's not just, oh, let's replace the diesel with some technological solution. It's about really understanding the needs of the humans on the other side, uh, what culturally they're willing to accept in their community, um, how the economics play a role, how their own policies and governance plays a role. It's not just about the technology. So when we talk about human-centered engineering, it's that holistic approach and that we try to bring that into the classroom in the the classes that we're teaching and the problems that we're, the equations that we're trying to solve even. Um, and then also on the research side, as a research university as well, we're very focused on the impact piece. So there's great work to be done in fundamental science, don't get me wrong, but we spend a lot of time, a lot of our faculty and staff and students spend time really thinking about the impact while they're doing their research. How could this translate into the real world? And let's make sure our research is the research that will help make that happen as quickly as possible. What are the needs of the humans on the other end as we do this research? So, so that's one piece of the human centered engineering approach. The other one actually has to do with the humans engaged in the classes, in the research, in the problem solving, such that we're meeting the educational needs of all of our students who come from diverse backgrounds, who come from different levels of preparation. How do we help them be the best engineers they can? 
be given those differentiated backgrounds. Um, how do we help our community feel that they can come to work, come to school every day as their true selves. So it's that human-centered engineering of considering the humans that are engaged in the process of learning and doing. What a grounded approach to solving the world's problem with technology as well as empathy. Alexis and our faculty are also looking for new ways to approach education in STEM to have the greatest, most positive impact on students. Uh, we have an initiative here at Dartmouth called STEMX, and that is a $100 million initiative that got wow. announced recently um, to really focus more efforts on uh, diversity in STEM at our college. Um, to really make sure that we're bringing in people of different backgrounds um, that have different preparation levels uh, and that are coming in with an interest in STEM and that we can provide a pathway for them uh, in order to be able to study that topic. And it's just so critical, again, that we have more of these STEM trained people in one way or another uh, in our society following different careers. Uh, and it's the university's responsibility to help make that happen. It's so it's so great. It's just, I mean, do you, do you feel like in the course of your career and what you've done, do you think STEM accessibility has gotten better? Has it improved? Do you think most people now who want it do have access to STEM-based learning or no? Is it, is it just because of what you do, you see it more, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think we still have a long way to go. Um, I, I really see this as, as sort of three categories of problems, the financial, mm. the inclusion, and the curriculum pieces. So on the financial side, it's making sure that our students have find access to financial aid. And I do think we have gotten better uh, over time. You can look at the data. We are able to provide through the federal government, through individual uh, institutions, from community colleges, through four-year universities, we are able to provide more financial aid to students. Now, the cost of education has also gone up, so mm. there's uh, some complexities there. Um, but that has improved. I think where we're struggling is more on the inclusion and the curriculum side. I, th I think the inclusion piece has been around since I was an undergraduate, right? Being part of Society of Women Engineers, sort of affinity groups. Um, now many universities have in place additional support and tutoring sort of programs so that students that maybe didn't have calculus in high school can get additional tutoring and additional uh, support to help them get through courses. We have a summer program. Many schools have summer programs to bring you in before your, your freshman year. So that's great. Um, but, but we could do better to ensure that we're creating a community, a culture, a climate of inclusion at the university level. switch gears to a conversation I had with Jessica Mitch Holmes, co-founder and CEO of the Raleigh-based training company Momentum. Here, Jessica talks about how her company works to train employees from any background who want to shift their career towards engineering and technology. Momentum is first and foremost, we're a training company. And 
Okay. We serve, we actually have two clients or two customers, if you will. One as uh, our, our primary customer is an organization that's looking to hire technology talent. And that can be an array of technology talent, but mostly software engineers, software developers. And that's our core client. We are meeting that need. And we do that by sourcing people that are already in the jo- existing job market that are career changers or looking for career changes and we give them the requisite skills needed to fit into that job. So if we look at, okay, what skill, like to your point, what skills are needed or how do we help companies think about who that person is in the role? What we see is career changers, people that have some sort of previous experience enough to know that they want to do something specific, like they they know enough to know what direction they want to go into in the future. And the key factor if somebody's going to be successful in a job is, are they interested in it? And so thinking outside of this like linear path that we tend to have historically thought in, well, well, you know, at 18 years old, did you know exactly what you wanted to do? The honest answer is most of us didn't and don't, you know, and um, so thinking instead of who has enough experience to have found themselves on the path that they really want to go towards uh, in, in the short term or long term and why and what is their motivation. And so the folks that we tend to work with are usually hitting some sort of pivotal moment in their life, whether it is a recent marriage or they just had a kid or maybe they got divorced, or maybe they were laid off. Something has happened where they're in that shifting point, where they're evaluating everything, and they are making those wiser decisions of where do I really want to go? Why do I want to be there? And if they have that hunger and motivation and the interest in this craft or skill they're going into, they make fantastic team members and fantastic employees. Let's revisit a conversation my other co-host, Brian Rowley, had with AV influencer, content creator, media master, and authentic storyteller, Alicia Hendley. Here, Brian and Alicia discuss how she's making an impact within the AV world across functions from users to creators to AV technicians. But I will tell you, one of the things that really stuck out for me is as we were preparing for this podcast, and I want to read this because this was really important to me when I was doing a little bit of research on you. By the way, fantastic videos. I know you love to dance. I know all of those things about you now. So it's a little bit it's a little bit scary. But you describe yourself on I believe it was on the crash pad. You had said, as a young professional, I am always finding ways to bring AV creatives and creative vision together in the effort to leave my mark by making an impact and not just an impression. To me, I was like, she's nailed it. Um, because, (laughs) you know, but, but I think, you know, kudos to you because that's what we're here to do, right? It's about the impact. It's impactful moments that are really what differentiate people specifically in this business, but being able to communicate that and being able to tell that story, very few are actually capable of doing it, which is why, as I said at the beginning, you and I like hit it off right away because I think you actually pointed to a piece of technology and you said, I don't really care about that. And you pointed down to what was being projected from that. And you were like, that's what I care about. So 
I mean, amazing. And I'm just curious, like, what got you there? Like, how did you make that? Because that's a big acknowledgement to be able to say, I want to make an impact, not just an impression. Like, how did you get there? So I got there originally because, like, I was an end user, right? I ran audio for a majority of my career. And there's nothing better than being behind a soundboard and you're running a show or a concert and you can just feel everybody so into that performance. You can feel that artist captivating people. And I'm legit just sitting at a board with goosebumps, right? At this point, I'm like, yes, this is it. And nobody noticed what, you know, the portion of what I was doing in that performance, right? Because I'm the person who sits in the back, you know, in all black and you don't notice me unless something's wrong. And I was like, okay, how do I make an impact and become more a part of the story that the artist or the presenter or, you know, this art gallery or I started looking at it from the bigger picture to being a part of the performance instead of trying to be like, oh, look at this cool board. Yeah, it does really cool things. But I couldn't tell my mom what I did. Like she she understood it because I've been doing it for so long. But when she sees the performance, that's what captivate, you know, captivates people. That's what gets people excited. So I wanted to be, I wanted to be, um, I was like, if I can figure out how to tie in everything that I do into an overall performance that captures people and makes people feel things, then, then that's the impact, right? You don't necessarily have to see me in the back, but you feel that impact. You feel that story and you're fully immersed in that. And that's things that I want to be a part of, not only from a technical perspective, but as a person. I really respect her drive to make her work tangible. It's so inspiring. I love revisiting these conversations with women who are passionate about their industries and making lasting changes for current and future generations. If you want to hear the full episodes, they're available on our website or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help us grow by visiting our feed on Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. I'm Susan Campbell. And that was another episode of The Big Rethink.